Book Two, Chapter Eleven of My Antonia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Katie Gibney, Arkansas, December two thousand seven. My Antonia by Willa Cather. Book Two, The Hired Girls, Chapter Eleven. Wick Cutter was the money lender who had fleeced poor Russian Peter. When a farmer once got into the habit of going to Cutter, it was like gambling or the lottery. In an hour of discouragement, he went back. Cutter's first name was Wycliffe, and he liked to talk about his pious bringing up. He contributed regularly to the Protestant churches, for sentiment's sake, as he said with a flourish of the hand. He came from a town in Iowa, where there were a great many Swedes, and could speak a little Swedish, which gave him a great advantage with the early Scandinavian settlers. In every frontier settlement, there are men who have come there to escape restraint. Cutter was one of the fast set of Black Hawk businessmen. He was an inveterate gambler, though a poor loser. When we saw a light burning in his office late at night, we knew that a game of poker was going on. Cutter boasted that he never drank anything stronger than sherry, and he said he got his start in life by saving the money that other young men spent for cigars. He was full of moral maxims for boys. When he came to our house on business, he quoted Poor Richard's Almanac to me, and told me he was delighted to find a town boy who could milk a cow. He was particularly affable to grandmother, and whenever they met, he would begin at once to talk about the good old times and simple living. I detested his pink bald head and his yellow whiskers, always soft and glistening. It was said he brushed them every night as a woman does her hair. His white teeth looked factory made. His skin was red and rough, as if from perpetual sunburn. He often went away to hot springs to take mud baths. He was notoriously dissolute with women. Two Swedish girls who had lived in his house were the worse for the experience. One of them he had taken to Omaha. And established in the business for which he had fitted her, he still visited her. Cutter lived in a state of perpetual warfare with his wife, and yet, apparently, they never thought of separating. They dwelt in a fussy scrollwork house, painted white and buried in thick evergreens, with a fussy white fence and barn. Cutter thought he knew a great deal about horses, and usually had a colt he was training for the track. On Sunday mornings, one could see him out at the fairgrounds. Speeding around the racecourse in his trotting buggy, wearing yellow gloves and a black and white check traveling cap, his whiskers blowing back in the breeze. If there were any boys about, Cutter would offer one of them a quarter to hold the stopwatch and then drive off, saying he had no change and would fix it up next time. No one could cut his lawn or wash his buggy to suit him. He was so fastidious and prim about his place. That a boy would go to a good deal of trouble to throw a dead cat into his back yard, or to dump a sackful of tin cans in his alley. It was a peculiar combination of old maidishness and licentiousness that made Cutter seem so despicable. He had certainly met his match when he married Mrs. Cutter. She was a terrifying-looking person, almost a giantess in height, raw-boned with iron-gray hair, a face always flushed, and prominent hysterical eyes. When she meant to be entertaining and agreeable, she nodded her head incessantly and snapped her eyes at one. Her teeth were long and curved, like a horse's. People said babies always cried if she smiled at them. Her face had a kind of fascination for me. It was the very color and shape of anger. 
there was a gleam of something akin to insanity in her full, intense eyes. She was formal in manner, and made calls in rustling, steel-gray brocades, and a tall bonnet with bristling aigrettes. Mrs. Cutter painted china so assiduously that even her washbowls and pitchers, and her husband's shaving mug, were covered with violets and lilies. Once when Cutter was exhibiting some of his wife's china to a caller, he dropped a piece. Mrs. Cutter put a handkerchief to her lips, as if she were going to faint, and said grandly, "'Mr. Cutter, you have broken all the commandments. Spare the finger-bowls.' They quarreled from the moment Cutter came into the house until they went to bed at night, and their hired girls reported these scenes to the town at large. Mrs. Cutter had several times cut paragraphs about unfaithful husbands out of the newspapers, and mailed them to Cutter in a disguised handwriting. Cutter would come home at noon, find the mutilated journal in the paper rack, and triumphantly fit the clipping into the space from which it had been cut. Those two could quarrel all morning about whether he ought to put on his heavy or his light underwear, and all evening about whether he had taken cold or not. The Cutters had major as well as minor subjects for dispute. The chief of these was the question of inheritance. Mrs. Cutter told her husband it was plainly his fault they had no children. He insisted that Mrs. Cutter had purposely remained childless, with the determination to outlive him and to share his property with her people, whom he detested. To this she would reply that unless he changed his mode of life she would certainly outlive him. After listening to her insinuation about his physical soundness, Cutter would resume his dumbbell practice for a month, or rise daily at the hour when his wife most liked to sleep, dress noisily, and drive out to the track with his trotting horse. Once when they had quarreled about household expenses, Mrs. Cutter put on her brocade, and went among their friends soliciting orders for painted china, saying that Mr. Cutter had compelled her to live by her brush. Cutter wasn't shamed, as she had expected. He was delighted. Cutter often threatened to chop down the cedar trees, which half buried the house. His wife declared she would leave him if she were stripped of the privacy, which she felt these trees afforded her. That was his opportunity, surely, but he never cut down the trees. The Cutters seemed to find their relations to each other interesting and stimulating, and certainly the rest of us found them so. Wick Cutter was different from any other rascal I have ever known, but I have found Mrs. Cutters all over the world, sometimes founding new religions, sometimes being forcibly fed, easily recognizable, even when superficially tamed. End of chapter 11